Good afternoon. Time is 1 o'clock. You are tuned to WEHC Emory and WISE FM Wise. It is Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. Thanks for dialing our way here this afternoon in Emory. We got a great lineup coming your way, including a half an hour of answers to all the things you ever wondered about invasive pests. And here now is your host for Farm Talk, Phil Blevins. Thank you, Ivy. It's good to be here today. And again, uh, if you have questions about the things we talk about, if you would call in to 276-944-6933, we'll do our best to give you an answer or find you an answer. If you have questions uh, over the week that you would like to have answered, you can send them to my email. That's pblevins at vt.edu. Ivy said we're going to talk about invasive insects today and what to do about them. And then when we think about invasives, there's a number of them that we have. And things are classified as being invasive because they're known to have a significant economic impact either on agriculture, public infrastructure, or natural resources. And that includes recreational activities, which certainly is a big deal in our part of the world. And these things are widely recognized by biologists and resource managers to degrade natural ecosystems and even negatively affect native species. And so, and some of them can even have a deleterious effect on human health. We're not talking about plants today, but giant hogweed is one of those that people are concerned about. Fortunately, we don't have that in Southwest Virginia or East Tennessee or, or this part uh, area of North Carolina, but that's one that's been in the news. And so, there's a number of these things that have entered the U.S. Uh, by various means, by imports, for example, some by human transport. It's believed possibly that the resurgence in bed bugs, which is a native to our world, is part of uh, travel by people from other parts of the world where bed bugs aren't a problem for them. Uh, but then we have those things that we would consider intentional introductions, not from the standpoint of someone being a invasive pest terrorists, but things that come in on plants or feed or people bring them in or they come in on pets. But by far, the most of them come into the country through accidental introductions that either come in on shipping containers from other parts of the world or ballast in ships uh, that comes in or even hitchhikers on travelers' clothes, luggage, and vehicles. And so, in the state of Virginia, there's a lot of work done to try to keep this under control, and so there's actually a Virginia Invasive Species Working Group that works on this, and there's a number of agencies involved with it, including Cooperative Extension that I work for, as well as the Virginia Department of Agriculture, Department of Forestry, the Department of Game and Inland Fisheries, the Department of Conservation and Recreation, and then on the federal level, we, federal level, we have uh, USDA, uh, APHIS, the uh, Agriculture Plant and Health Inspection Service. And so we want to talk about some of these that are in the news today, some of these that are not here yet, but you've probably heard about on the news, and some that are here. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, the most effective strategy to deal with any problem is to keep it away. And there's a number of invasive insects, and I certainly don't have them all, but Japanese beetles is one that we're all familiar with that have been here for many, many years. Fire ants, imported red fire ants, we don't have those in our area, but we'll talk about those in just a minute. They have been found down a little bit west of us. Uh, the European hornet, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Emerald ash borer, which we may not spend any time on, but it's killed most of the ash trees. 
in our part of the world. Hemlock woolly adelgia, gypsy moth, which has been renamed the spongy moth, by the way. Brown marmorated stink bug, which is uh, is an issue, especially not for the homeowners so much, other than when they come in the house in the, in the fall of the year to hibernate, as well as the Asian lady beetle. Africanized honeybees are one. And then some that are not so common, and one that's headed our way most likely is the spotted lanternfly. We'll spend some time talking about that. The giant Asian hornet, or as it's been tagged by the news media, the murder hornet. We'll talk a little bit about that. And the yellow-legged hornet. And uh, the Asian longhorn beetle, which isn't here yet, but it's a real serious pest. And then the Asian longhorn tick, which we do have in Washington County now, so uh, in southwest Virginia. So let's start out by talking about the uh, Asian giant hornet, or it's been renamed in the States as the northern giant hornet. If you were paying attention to the news a couple of years ago, you heard the news reporting on the murder hornet uh, that had been found in Vancouver and then actually... Uh, had been spotted in Washington State. Uh, they'd, they'd found these, someone had spotted these there and had been identified as that. And it became a big concern because of the damage that it can do to honeybees. Um, by the way, honeybees aren't native to North America. They were brought here by the settlers, Europeans, when they came here. But nonetheless, they're very important as far as our food system goes and our, as a pollinator. But the, the concern about the northern giant hornet, which is a very large uh, hornet, yellow hornet, looks like a giant yellow jacket, if you know what that is. And the way they, the, the problem with them and honeybees is, is they are predators of honeybees. And they have a unique way of doing things that uh, females will go into a honeybee nest or a hive and leave pheromone there. And then later on, uh, the other females will come in and they actually decapitate all of the live bees that are in the colony and then take the larvae and the brood back to their nest to feed their young. Now, in Asia, uh, where this thing originated, which a whole lot of our pestilence originates in Asia, unfortunately, the invasives that we have. But in Asia, the honeybees that are there can actually, when these females enter, the original female in, enters the hive, they will actually form a ball around it and they can raise their body temperature one degree higher than the, than the hornet can stand, and they actually cook the hornet in that case and get rid of it. Uh, the honeybees that we have in this country don't have the ability to do that. Fortunately, the one that was found in Washington State, they, it's, it's interesting how they found that they actually put tracker, a tracker on one they found and tracked it back to the nest and got rid of that nest, and we haven't had any reports of that, but that's not... The reason I bring that up is not because we have it, but because we have the European hornet, uh, which looks a little bit similar to it. It's not nearly as large. It is an invasive one from Europe and looks, again, like a giant yellow jacket, but there's some distinguishing features between it and the giant uh, northern giant hornet or Asian giant hornet. And recently in the news, you probably heard some uh, noise that they found down around Savannah, Georgia, the yellow-legged hornet, which is also a predator and a predator of honeybees. It doesn't function in the same way as the northern giant hornet because it's a solid, it, it does its hunt and it gets one bee at a time. And so it's not as big a problem. They found the nest of this one and they got rid of it. And so I get calls occasionally about this. I think I've found a murder hornet. And so when we get pictures and so forth, uh, fortunately we've not identified, <coughs> excuse me, we've not identified one in this part of the states yet. Another one that 
can be confused for it that you see this time of the year in this part of uh, Virginia is called the cicada killer. And uh, cicadas, or as we used to call them, jar flies when I was growing up and still do, uh, the cicadas will actually, these things actually attack the cicada, sting it, and they dig tunnels in the ground. They're a solitary bee, but they dig tunnels. And sometimes you may see holes in your yard where they've excavated pounds of soil from a hole, and they take these cicadas into the hole paralyzed from the sting, and that's what they're... uh, babies hatch on and actually grow up and emerge the next year but they're not aggressive you may see them flying around over your yard and they look scary but uh, they're very they're not they don't pay attention to people they may fly up to you but they go on so that's the first one we want to look at so there is our do we have questions if you have questions again uh, the number is 276-944-6933 and so We'll move on past that. Uh, One that is on the way that people need to be aware of, and that's the spotted lanternfly. You may have heard about this in the news. And again, it was native to China. It was identified or is recorded, I should say, in China many, many centuries ago. And the reason the spotted lanternfly is one that's of issue is it threatens a lot of crops like grapes and peaches. Uh, It also threatens numerous tree species like pine, walnut, maple, and oak. uh, But its preferred host is Tree of Heaven. If you are familiar with Elanthus or if you're familiar with the book, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, that was the tree that grew in Brooklyn, I guess because basically it'll grow anywhere. And this uh, spotted lanternfly favors that tree, and that tree's actually native to Asia as well, so... They kind of grew up together, you might say. Uh, In 2016, this insect was discovered in southeast Pennsylvania, and in 2018, it was confirmed in Virginia. And so we'll talk a little bit about what it does. They favor the tree of heaven and the grapevine as their favorite host for them. And if you think you've found one, uh, it's important to look and report what you've found because there is a lot of effort going on now to try to stop the spread of this insect. It's really a colorful insect, and if you didn't know how destructive it was, you might be persuaded to think, well, it's really an attractive moth. Let's not do anything about that. Uh, if you see one that is uh, at rest uh, and the wings folded, you'll see it has its wings folded together and actually has black spots on the wings. When it spreads its wings, then you'll see a second pair of wings or hind wings that have a really bright red color with black spots on it. So it's really attractive when the wings are spread, but very destructive. And it's interesting as the life cycle of these things, if we look at that, the adults lay their eggs in the summertime or later in the summer, and these eggs over winter on the bark of trees, on trash cans, on just about anything they can lay their eggs on. And then in the spring they emerge and you have, first of all, you have these little black spotted nymphs that are crawling around on the plants. And then they begin to get a red color to them and they actually hop. They can hop a long way. And so if you get near them, they hop to get away from you. And actually the moth can hop too. But they... Currently, if we look at it in Virginia, we have them as close as within Carroll County. So that's only a couple of counties away from us right now. And like I said, there's a lot of effort to try to stop this. And so those, those counties are all, 
uh, currently under quarantine, as well as several counties, up the I-81 corridor, up into the Shenandoah Valley. And it makes sense it's that where you would see these insects because they hitch rides on various things to get into this part of the world. Um, when, when fall approaches uh, for this insect, they focus on Tree of Heaven as the host. And this is where they're going to focus their feeding and egg laying. And they will lay eggs on other trees or anything else that's smooth and vertical, whether it's natural or man-made, bridges or whatever. And, and they're what's considered a phloem feeder. And if we think about phloem, that's part of the plumbing, plumbing in the tree. And so they actually suck the sap from the trunks of trees and, and other things that they feed on, as well as the stems and leaf petioles. And so where you have areas of heavy infestation of these insects or these moths, uh, this feeding can cause wilting of leaves and young branches and ultimately the death of the tree. And so when you think about our, our timber industry in southwest Virginia with oak and pine, those trees, particularly oak, a very high-value tree, and if this uh, was to become a serious problem in our area, it could be expensive as far as our timber industry goes. And once they've weakened the plant, of course, this ends up with uh, reduced photosynthesis and dieback, and uh, ultimately uh, the plant can die. And when they feed, you'll notice that the plants tend to weep or ooze sap out of it because they're leaving these holes behind. And they also excrete what's called honeydew which is a sugar-rich fluid that covers the stems and leaves of the trees. If you've ever had a really bad problem with the aphids on a plant, they also excrete honeydew. And once this, they've moved on a lot of times, hollies, for example, you'll notice the leaves look black and sooty. And that's actually mildew growing on the honeydew that's been left behind by these insects. And this can also, in the case of the spotted lanternfly, can uh, block photosynthesis and end up weakening the plant. And you may even see black streaks down the tree where, this, where the sap uh, actually mildews or even blackened soil or, or patches of yellowish-white mold that will be at the base of an infested tree. And you may notice, particularly this time of the year, when the yellow jackets are out looking for food before winter comes on, you may see them buzzing around it trying to get sugar from it or ants or other things we might see. And then as it ferments and sours, it has a vinegary smell to it. So uh, as far as management of this insect goes, it's very important to limit it, the population, as I said. But uh, it, Tree of Heaven is one of the one of the main hosts, and so keeping that tree down is certainly a problem. If you don't know what Tree of Heaven is or Alanthus, you need to look that up because you very likely got it close to you. It's uh, really heavy along the interstates in places. Looks kind of like a sumac, for lack of a better description, but it's very, very resilient. You can cut it down, and it'll sprout everywhere and come back worse. And there are ways to control it. Uh, if you decide that you like this tree and you want to keep it, there is actually, if we begin to have trouble with spotted lanternfly, there is an insecticide called Transect uh, that you can treat the base of the tree that will actually control uh, spotted lanternfly. And so, but always, if you're going to use something like that, uh, be sure that you follow the label on those things. And one thing you can do, those of you that like to travel, those of you that like to camp, maybe up in the Shenandoah Valley camping in one of those, one of those areas up there, uh, be sure you check your camper before you come home in the summertime that you're not carrying egg masses or if you're buying landscaping material or something like that, 
familiarize yourself with what these things look like. We actually have information in the extension office that you can access or we can give you to be able to identify some of these things, maybe so that it doesn't become a problem in our area. Again, before we move on, if you have questions, you can call 276-944-6933, or you can email me at pblevins at vt.edu. So, This is WEHC 90.7 Emory and WISE 90.5 WISE. And you are tuned to Farm Talk with Phil Blevins. He comes in each and every Wednesday afternoon at 1 o'clock to answer your questions about all things agricultural today. We're talking about invasive insects. And you can email Phil at pblevins at vt.edu or you can call the radio station. 276-944-6933. And Phil, also, if folks are interested in how to access the Agricultural Extension's website, how can they do that? Okay, if you go to uh, ext.vt.edu, you can access any Extension office in the state, and you'll find on that on that page, that's our main website at Virginia Tech, and if you'll find on that page a button that says local offices, and so you can go to any local office in the state, including ours. Those of you that are listening in other parts of the listening area of WHC, you can you could contact your office at Wise or Russell County or wherever you might happen to be and contact the agent there for information that you might need, as well as other states that might be listening. They also have links to their sites depending on what university you're dealing with. So we do appreciate you again listening to us today, talking about invasive insects, not the most exciting thing in the world, but a serious thing. When we think about what we're dealing with around the country today, uh, some of these that have been introduced, as I said earlier, have destroyed some things, not an insect, but you think about the American chestnut blight and what it did to the mountains in the east. You think about the emerald ash borer, which was found in Fairfax County, Virginia, just a few years ago, and now it's killed most of the ash trees down through the state. And it's a sad thing to see when you see that important a timber species in either case uh, to be infected and destroyed by something that was not native to the country. And so we need to be aware of these things. Uh, unfortunately, what happens a lot of times, though, is movies and Hollywood make these things uh, out to be terrors that we can't do anything about, but some things we can. And so one of those is the red imported fire ant. Uh, If you're familiar with fire ants, you've seen movies where people were killed by ants and things like that. Uh, We do have the red imported fire ant in Virginia. Uh, There are two types of fire ants that have been imported into the United States. And in both cases, it's believed they came in through the port at Mobile, Alabama from South America. Uh, Back in 1918, the black imported fire ant, and then in 1930s, the red imported fire ant were brought in, and actually those two have crossed now so that we have a hybrid between the two. Uh, It's believed today that they infest more than 367 million acres uh, in the southern states, in Alabama, Arkansas, including the West, California, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, and we could go on with all those names, but Virginia is one of those, and Tennessee is one of those. And so, uh, obviously, nobody wants them, and they've been in the news because they have been found in Lee County, our very most western county in southwest Virginia. And so I've had a call recently about someone taking a picture of an ant, and they were concerned that it was a red-imported fire ant. 
it was a red ant, but it wasn't a fire ant. And so there are other red ants out there. So just because you see one, uh, don't assume you have fire ants. Uh, they're described as what's called polymorphic. So it's really hard to tell by the size uh, what it is because they range in size a good bit from a sixteenth of an inch long to a quarter of an inch long. So that's really small to a fairly good-sized ant. Uh, as far as colors go, they're called red imported fire ants, and the workers in the queens have a shiny reddish-brown head and thorax. Uh, but the very tip, that's what's called the gaster, the very tip of the rear segment is black. And all the males are completely black. And so uh, just because you see a particular color doesn't mean you have a problem. So, you know, the last thing I want to do today in talking about invasive uh, insects is to have everybody terrified of what's going on. So just be, just be aware. You know, if you see an ant, don't kill it necessarily because you think it's a fire ant. Um, the biggest way that they've moved around has been by human transport. As I said, they entered, it's believed, through the port at Mobile in uh things that were brought into the country, but what really moved it around was the housing boom in the 50s. People buying landscape material and sod and things like that to establish their new home site, and that, that was the biggest way that red imported fire ants were moved around, and that's still the way they're moved around today a lot. People buy mulch or topsoil or plant material. You buy a plant that's bald and burlapped, obviously it has soil on the roots, and if it happens to have fire ants in there, then uh, you could possibly move them onto your property. Now, fortunately, things like that are inspected, so that's the chances of that happening are not as great in our area. Uh, but one of the things that's characteristic, or generally characteristic of these ants is they make mounds. We see little ant hills from the ants that we have, but they make mounds, and they can be from 10 to 24 inches in diameter, diameter up to 18 inches tall. And in heavy clay soils or heavier soils like we have, sometimes they can be as high as two to three feet. And so uh, the mounds are characteristic. I have a daughter who lives in Alabama, and you can drive through Alabama to her house, and you see the mounds along the interstate out in the fields. And so it's pretty characteristic of them. They're a pretty resilient ant as well. Uh, the queens can live up to seven years, which is a long time. Uh, and the, the colonies can contain over 250,000 ants. Now, uh, you know, in reading about fire ants, in some of the places in the south where you have multiple colonies, because they can have more than one colony, and sometimes estimate there are millions of ants uh, that can inhabit a particular area. Uh, they... They usually have just one queen. You know, we think about honeybees, they have one queen, by and large. But uh, red imported fire ant can have single queen colonies, and then they can have multiple queen colonies. And obviously, if there's more than one mother, there's more than one child. And there's going to be a lot of ants in that particular case. And they reproduce and grow faster, obviously, when they have multiple queens uh, than they do when they have uh, single queens. And... When we, when we think about our state, as I said, across the southeastern section of the state of Virginia along that, the border of North Carolina from about Halifax County over to the coast, you have quarantine areas where the red imported fire ant is. And then you have some counties that are lightly infested, and that one of those would be Lee County. Uh, this past year, uh, 
red imported fire ants were found in one location in Lee County. And so one of the things to remember about them, if you do ever have to encounter them, is that uh, if you do find them, don't treat them. Uh, if you're outside the quarantine area, uh, the Department of Agriculture wants you to let them know so they can come in and actually treat uh, these colonies so they can get rid of them. One of the dangers in doing the wrong thing to a red imported fire ant colony, uh, if you disturb the mound, then they're likely to go down, move the queen, and split into two or three colonies. And so you make it a worse problem uh, than you had to start with. And so hopefully we won't ever have to deal with that. You know, there's, I said, as I mentioned, there's a lot of things that we have to do, uh, deal with in this part of the world. One of those that affects livestock producers, I mentioned we have a new tick. It's called the Asian longhorn tick, another import from Asia. Uh, and it's been known to be in the States for a good while. They found it just a few years ago. They found a sheep in New Jersey that was just covered with ticks. And so when they investigated this, it was an infestation of the Asian longhorn tick. And why it's important to our part of the world, and it is in Washington County, uh, there have been uh, surveys done and drags done to find out, is this tick carries a, a disease in cattle called Tyleria. And it uh, doesn't mean that livestock producers need to run in fear, but they do need to check their cattle for ticks to see if they happen to have this because there can be hundreds to thousands of ticks on an animal if there's an infestation in the area. And they are parthenogenic, and what that means is the female doesn't have to have a male there, and, and the vast majority of them are in this country parthenogenic or females, and so one female can cause quite a huge infestation uh, in, in cattle. And, and there have been reports around the state where there were cattle that have died of tyleria. Uh, this is not a human disease, so don't worry about that. They will get on people. Uh, but it's not a human disease. They get on pets. They get on lots of things. And uh, it's, it's something to be aware of. And based on what the veterinarians at the vet school say, most cattle are ultimately going to be exposed. Uh, some of them are going to get sick and die from it, but it's probably not going to be a huge part of the population. Some of the other agents that I've talked to in areas where this thing is prevalent have said there are fields. It seems to be some fields are worse than others. I know one told me he walked through a field up in Madison County, and he had said he had so many ticks on him after he walked through the field that he took three lint rollers uh, trying to get the things off of him and finally burned his clothes to get rid of them. And so they can be really heavy infestations in places, but uh, it's something to be aware of, not something to run in fear of, and livestock producers should be checking their cattle and their sheep and goats to see if they have infestations of them. So... Again, it's been good to be with you today. Hopefully we've provided some information that might have been of interest and maybe of use to you. Uh, you can contact me at work at pblevins at vt.edu or our office number is 276-676-6309. Or again, if you want to call in during the program, the number is 276-944-6933. Thank you again and thank you, Ivy, for having me today. And tune in next week for another edition of Farm Talk 1 o'clock on Wednesdays here on WEHC. And what will the topic be next w week? We're working on that. Well, do stay tuned. This is WEHC Emory and WISE FM Wise.